Hello, I'm Janus. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. joining us again here on episode nine. We are so glad to be here with you and we just wanted to announce that we are now on Spotify. We're excited to be there and we would love to know if there are any other podcast streaming services where you would like to see our show. We are looking forward to next week's episode which will be a our number 10. Number 10. It's like an anniversary almost. <laughs> and to celebrate, we would like to hold a special contest this week. So check out our Facebook page for information on a fun contest with prizes. We're looking forward to that. Uh, listener Taylor this week said, Love the podcast. I never thought much about words before, but I can see myself developing a love for words and language now too. I just love the historical context and stuff. I'm learning lots. And in response to episode three, Taylor also sent us a hilarious backronym she remembered from the show Phineas and Ferb. It was a suggestion from Dr. Doofenshmirtz to name a group of evil villains, the League of Villainous Evildoers Maniacally United for Fighting in Naughtiness, creating the acronym L-O-V-E-M-U-F-F-I-N. For love muffin. <laughs> Thanks for the laugh, Taylor. We love that. So, Jameis, tell us what word is your favorite word this week. Okay, well, I'm going to start and work forward. I'm going to start with, in ancient Greece, there was a seven-stringed instrument called the kithara. Hmm. This was kind of the pro version of the lyre. The lyre <laughs> only had four strings, and it was kind of considered a folk instrument, kind of rustic. The professionals wouldn't touch it. But artists who played the kithara were known as kitharodes. I love that word. Can you tell us how to spell that? Kithara is spelled K-I-T-H-A-R-A. Okay. And kitharode is K-I-T-H-A-R-O-D-E-S. Thank kitharodes. you. Apollo himself is actually supposedly the first kitharode. A lot of his statues show him up there playing the kithara. And it's even mentioned in the Bible that the King James Version translates it as harp or psaltery, Hmm. which it's inaccurate, but it's understandable because it it was kind of a harp-like instrument, the the seven strings that you would pluck. Interestingly, the word kithra may be related to the Persian word sitar, which means three strings in Urdu. The OED is skeptical, though. It doubts that (laughs) derivation. Looking online... Some sites will say it is, and some will say it isn't. And anyway, yeah, it reminds me of the word zither, too, which is another kind of stringed instrument. Yeah, and in fact, it is etymologically related, even oh, okay. though it isn't structurally related. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually a whole bunch of instruments that have been named after the kithra, and the zither is one of them, but also the sitol, the sittern, the gittern, and the guitar. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's it's interesting that um, these instruments are all, they're called chordophones. Mm-hmm. You may be familiar with that term. Yes. A chordophone is basically any instrument, any string instrument, where you, you uh, pluck the strings or... It could be bowed or plucked. Or... Yeah, bowed or plucked or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So the guitar fits and the kithra fits, they're all, they all fit into that. But structurally, they, they can be very different. 
the guitar is actually possibly related to the lute. There's mm-hmm. some question about what its actual derivation was musically, like where the guitar actually came from. But the lute, for listeners who aren't familiar with it, was a kind of pear-shaped instrument with a very sharply bent peg head. And the lute comes to us from Spain, mm-hmm. where they had it from the Moors. And the Moors, the name for the instrument was the oud, O-U-D in Arabic, and it possibly meant wood. Um, and it's suggested that the Spaniards corrupted that Arabic al-oud, the wood, into laoud, which later became lute. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Or loud, whichever. Loud. Yeah, because it can be. Especially you plug it into an amp and it gets a little loud. But the earliest known instrument that was anything like a guitar was a tambour that was roughly 3,500 years old. Mm. It's kind of cool reading about it. It was uh, discovered in an Egyptian tomb mm. and belonged to an artist named Harmuz. They found some cool things in those tombs. Pretty amazing how well the dry Egyptian desert preserved things. Mm-hmm. But this this tanber is basically made of rawhide and wood, and it's 3,500 years and old. And how do you spell that? T-A-N-B-U-R-B-O-R. Okay, different and, variations. Yeah, depending on how you transliterate it and which language you're actually pulling it from. But, mm-hmm. but there, the tanber is actually depicted in a lot of Mesopotamian it. Mesopotamian, that's a <laughs> tongue twister, a lot of Mesopotamian artifacts, and the word itself has been adopted in a lot of languages. And interestingly, it might even be the ancestor word of tambour. Well, that's what T-A-M-B-O-U-R. I T-A-M-B-O-U-R. Well, I was wondering how it was spelled. That's yeah. interesting. But it's interesting because the tambour is a drum, mm-hmm. not a stringed instrument at all. <laughs> and in fact, tambour itself is the ancestor word of tambourine, mm-hmm. which was originally called a tambour de basque. Or a Basque tamper. Hmm. So anyway, it's just kind of fascinating to, to read about that and, and learn about where the word for guitar came from. And just what a rich history the words and the language around musical instruments has. Yes. And the other thing that I take from this is that we should start calling all guitar players guitar roads. <laughs> as soon as possible, preferably. <laughs> Country roads, guitar roads, you know. <laughs> exactly. It's all related. <laughs> So how about you, Tessa? What have you got for us? Okay. Well, I'm going to start with a little story to lead into my favorite word this week. So Mahatma Gandhi walked barefoot most of the time. And this produced an impressive set of calluses on his feet. You might not be aware of that. But he also ate very little, which made him rather frail. And with this odd diet, he suffered from bad breath, unfortunately. So this made him... A super calloused, fragile mystic hexed by halitosis. <laughs> I see it coming, but I couldn't tell what it was going to be. That's fantastic. <laughs> so this little story is an example of the word that I was studying this week. And before I tell you exactly what that is, there's another story about the origin of this word. So, And this story starts with a game of Scrabble, and I think most of the best stories in the world start with the game of Scrabble, so I'm excited about this one. <laughs> but there was an author, a science fiction writer of short stories from um, the 50s to the 80s named Reginald Bretnar, and he was playing Scrabble with his wife one day, and one little habit that he had was on his bench, he liked to organize 
the letters, the tiles that he had in alphabetical order. That was kind of his little quirk. And one day on his tile list, he had E-F-G-H-O-O-T. <laughs> and he thought it looked funny. He showed his wife, um, although your adversary isn't supposed to see your tiles, he showed her and she said, oh, you just need to switch out F and E and you can make fig hoot. Doesn't that sound like a great word or a name <laughs> even? And they laughed about that. They thought it was so funny. But he loved it so much that he created a character that he used in a series of short stories. And this series ran for a long time under the collective title of Through Time and Space with Ferdinand Faghoot. So Ferdinand Faghoot was the character. And he wrote these under a pseudonym, which was an anagram of his own name. So instead of Reginald Bretnar, it was Grendel Brierton. (laughs) (laughs) And... Um, unfortunately, I've tried to make an anagram out of my name, and I haven't had much luck. I haven't found any good ones for that, so I'm jealous. You have someone. to work on that. Yeah. It's like a challenge. I'm jealous of people that can make good anagrams out of their names. But he specifically wrote these stories with a formula. Each one involved his title character solving a problem or extricating himself from a dangerous situation. And the events could take place all over the galaxy in various historical or future periods on Earth and elsewhere. So the setting was very varied. And the the pieces were usually very short, uh, just a few paragraphs long, and they always ended with a deliberately terrible pun that was often based on a well-known title or catchphrase. So kind of like our super calloused, fragile, mystic, hexed by halitosis. <laughs> that would be a similar kind of ending for one of his stories. So these began to be well-known in the science fiction short story community, people that loved those. And they took on the name of his character. They became known as a faghoot, this type of story. So it's like a story pun or a poetic story joke or some other names for that. Um, But they're always humorous and short and they end in a pun or a well-known phrase. Some people think they're similar to like a shaggy dog story. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Those are a little bit different because they end in an anticlimax. There's really no punchline. But um, a fag hoot always has a punchline. The whole thing builds up to the punchline. But the word faghoot itself, interestingly enough, was not found in any of the dictionaries I looked in. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. So maybe it's not widely used enough. A couple episodes ago, we talked about how words are chosen for the dictionary, how they're coined. Apparently, this is one that isn't known widely enough. But I'm introducing it to you because it's definitely a specialized word. That is a lot of fun to use. So is it legal to talk about words that aren't in the dictionary on the show? Oh, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Just had to make sure. (laughs) So some examples that you might or might not be familiar with. Um, So the show Rocky and Bullwinkle that Mm -hmm. um, used to be popular animated series had a segment every week um, known as Peabody's Improbable History. And they had two characters that would use the Wayback Machine to go to different areas of history and um, they, those segments would always end with a pun. So that's kind of an example of a fag hoot. There's a comic strip known as Pearls Before Swine that also very often uses fag hoot. Um, you may have heard of some common jokes. These I heard these when I was a kid. 
So one of them, the punchline is, knick-knack, paddywhack, give the frog a loan. Yeah. Or, silly rabbi, kicks are for trids. I was just thinking of that exact one. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with those, uh, we could maybe put a link in the show notes so that you could read those entire jokes. And then an author that we really enjoy, Jasper Ford, actually is very brilliant at including <laughs> fake hoots as kind of side stories or um, subplots of his novels. I really have enjoyed those. And so a fake hoot is kind of an elaborate setup for a pun. And um, this is something that I learned this week. I did not know. But the word, the official word for a pun is paranomasia. Paranomasia. Yeah. P-A-R-O-N-O-M-A-S-I-A. Paranomasia. It's the technical term for a pun. I'm so torn now. Because on the one hand, I love that word, but pun is such a great word too. (laughs) What do I use? (laughs) Well, and it's interesting. It seems like everybody is divided on the idea of puns. Either that you love them or you hate them. I thought it was interesting that Samuel Johnson, who was an English writer in the 1700s, is quoted as disparagingly referring to punning as the lowest form of humor. On the other hand, Alfred Hitchcock, who we know is very brilliant, <laughs> stated that puns are the highest form of literature. <laughs> so <laughs> you've got right. yeah, someone on either side of that argument. And more recently, the idea of the dad joke has come into our culture very strongly. And, in fact, in September of 2019, the term dad joke was actually added for the first time to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Okay. <laughs> so that's an official term, dad joke. Fake hoot isn't in there, but dad joke we got to work is. on fake hoot. <laughs> All so, you listeners out there, make sure you start using fake hoot so that we can get this in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. And this was a, a kind of a fun entry just in the... Definition for pun in the OED, they always have examples from written language. And this was in 1866. This, I just thought this was so humorous. The writer said, Blunt and I made atrocious puns. I believe indeed that Miss Blunt herself made one little punkin, as I recall. (laughs) 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 So I thought that was really fun. So... We would love to hear any fag hoots that you're familiar with. Dad jokes are a lot of fun. Your favorite puns. Are you pro-pun? Are you anti-pun? Yeah. Where do you stand on this? Like, we, where, where are you? We need, to, we need to get this figured out. <laughs> so share with us on our Facebook page or send us a message or an email. We would love to, to hear how you feel about puns. And we will include some links in the show notes for some examples of fag hoots and um, a link for a really great list of dad jokes. So. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Tessa. Awesome. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. Once again, next week will be episode number 10. So be sure and check our Facebook page this week for info about the contest we'll be holding in celebration. And as ever, if you've got a word or phrase you want to share with us, let us know. What's your new favorite word? <laughs>